Welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Darby Toth, a Technical Field Services Representative with Western United Dairies. And I'm Melissa Lima, the North Coast and Organic Field Services Representative with Western United Dairies. Welcome to episode 22. I cannot believe it. We say this every time we get to a new number, I but I really can't believe we're already at episode 22. I know. The fact that we've been in quarantine for 22 weeks is a little frightening, but also... Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if we should be proud or frightened. I know. I'm Good for us, though. We've, we've been sticking with it. We've had some really great guests over the last 22 weeks. We're lining up some really great stuff to kind of wind down our season through the fall and I think um, I think our members are the feedback we're getting is really positive so I'm having fun with it as well hopefully you are too Darby I am too I feel like it helps everybody stay in the loop and it helps us catch up every week which I always appreciate yes definitely and speaking of staying in the loop we have an episode um, chock full of information today um, we're gonna have a market update from Annie um, Jason our Director of uh, Legislative Affairs is going to be with us today. I talked with Jason extensively about how the session in Sacramento wrapped up and what we're looking towards in 2021. And then we, I got a chance to talk with one of my dairymen, uh, John Booker, a member in Healdsburg, um, who had a, quite an experience with the California wildfires the last several weeks. So, and we'll wrap up today with an update from Rochelle um, with Luke. Lots of good stuff going on there. Yeah, I'm excited for this episode. I just actually read a Cal Matters article the other yesterday talking about uh, all the antics that happened in the uh, final hours of the legislative session this year. So it'll be nice to uh, talk to Jason about all of that. Yeah, I think it's going to be great to get Jason's insider perspective on what's been going on in the halls of the legislature. Yeah, and speaking of uh, starting to get started and looking at insider experiences, maybe we'll jump right into Annie for a market update and uh, update on the producer review board meeting that happened. Well, thanks, Darby and Melissa. Uh, before we jump into the market update, I know we discussed the PRB meeting last week. We did a brief recap of what happened. As a follow-up on that, um, CDFA announced a hearing date for um, the, the hearing on the United Dairy Families of California petition that we discussed last week. And so basically the hearing will be September 30th and October 1 from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. It'll be virtual, of course, again, like um, last time. So the, the link for... Um, it's going to be on Teams, and you can find that in our latest newsletter if you uh, receive it. If not, you can proceed to our website to find it. Um, so the hearing will focus on the petition to sunset the quip as of March 1, 2025, and also focus on equalizing the RQAs so that all counties' quota premiums would be the same. And so it would all equalize them to what uh, the level is in Tulare, which is $1.43 per hundredweight. Just like the last hearing with CDFA, there's going to be an administrative law judge that will preside over the hearing, and he's going to be the only one, um, along with the CDFA staff, to uh, ask, allowed to ask questions of witnesses. So if you're interested in filing a statement, you can send them an email statement, you can send it in the mail, um, or you can participate in the hearing. Um, you can pre-register to testify 
Uh, you have up, to, up until September 29 to do that. And it's not required to pre-register. It's just if you don't, then um, you're just going to be testifying in the order that the uh, hearing officer decides. And so for planification purposes, it might be a little easier if you're planning on testifying. So these are details. Um, we're going to update you as this gets closer um, coming up here at the end of September. So jumping back into the market update, it was a very average week. Again, commodities were down uh, for the third week, with the exception of one, which was butter, uh, went up 1.17 cents, but still not um, great movement on the butter price. We're now at $1.4988. We've really been hovering around that level now for a while. Even CME butter prices have been in that range. So, um, you know, stability is at least better than um, precipitous drop. So we'll take it. And the U.S. is not the only one in that price range. If we look at the latest global dairy trade auction, the butter price average there was also $1.51. So very in line with where we're at. Although in Europe, things are a little bit more encouraging. The average butter price there was $1.83 per pound. So if that price change went well, cheese really continued to be disappointing. The loss this week was large again. We had blocks falling by 19.5 cents, barrels by 23 cents. So we have blocks now at $1.84 and barrels that are $59. There might still be slight downward adjustments again next week, but things are, you know, starting to settle as we're seeing CME prices that stop dropping and they actually have been recovering. Uh, We had the block price uh, settling at $1.91 on Wednesday and even more encouraging on Thursday, uh, spot block prices shot up over $2. So we're back at 205 at the CME. So if you recall, you know, USDA prices tend to lag, which, you know, bodes well for the, you know, short-term um, future cheese prices. And so those CME upward movements are very encouraging. Uh, we just have to be patient because right now we're uh, processing the, the lower prices um, that kind of, you know, lag, like I mentioned, into USDA prices. If we look outside the U.S., the average cheddar price, uh, the GDT was $1.55. So things are not um, as encouraging out there, which ultimately might prove uh, tricky for our exports, export competitiveness. Um, USDA is not fed dry milk. I've been doing slowly but surely, um, kind of like the turtle in that story, right? Just moving progressively, not giving up. Well, somehow this week... A um, little bit of a setback, dropped 2.37 cents, so we're back down to 94 cents a pound. Meanwhile, CME prices continue to move up, again, slowly but surely, but that's still uh, welcome. Uh, they reach a dollar three per pound this week. And if we look outside the U.S., the picture is even better. Um, if the GDT skim milk powder prices reach a dollar 21 per pound, um, you know, spot prices that were reported by Dairy Market News over there were $1.31. So I think overall, there's a little bit more optimism outside our border for powder. Um, but that is helpful because, you know, a, a large percentage of our powder is exported. We're looking at, you know, over 75% most months. Um, so that global price has a direct impact on uh, what we can sell our powder for and um, ultimately our export competitiveness. So I think this um, this bode well for uh, powder prices to continue their upward movement slowly but surely. But again, we'll take it. That's better than the other way around. So this concludes the market update for this week. And um, until next week, thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. 
To learn more, visit pg.com safety. Well, thanks again, Annie. And now we're going to head over to an interview that Melissa and Jason did together talking about the end of the legislative session this year. Thanks, Darby, and welcome back to the show, Jason Bryan, our Director of Legislative Affairs here at Western United Dairies. Jason, thanks for joining us today. Uh, good morning, and, and thanks for having me. Good to be with you. We are so glad to have you. It's been a very busy few weeks for you in finishing up the legislative session at the Capitol, and so we wanted to have you today to just kind of give us a wrap-up of everything that transpired over the last couple of months in Sacramento. So um, I guess I'll let you take it away, Jason, if you want to just give us kind of a like overview and then we'll maybe go through a couple of specific legislative um, items. That would be a good way to start. You bet. Um, so I'll just kick it off and talk a little bit about um, the beginning of the year. Um, obviously what happened after um, around mid-March after the state um, um, responded or began to respond uh, to the spread of COVID-19 and the subsequent economic impacts and, and policy ramifications of, of the state re uh, responding to uh, the spread of the virus. And, and then I'll talk a little bit about um, some of the activity in the legislature that we saw um, after they reconvened um, just shortly after um, the 4th of July holiday break and what uh, our government affairs program at Western was focused on. So um, just to kind of kick it off, um, you know, just looking back at the year um, when the legislature reconvened in January, um, yeah, we were looking at a much different picture, both from a fiscal health and an economic uh, status here in the state. Um, the governor and the legislature were bolstered by um, a strong economy, um, bolstered by strong budget forecasts and even a budget surplus uh, and it's um, you know a bit a bit sobering to think that uh, that was just uh, eight months ago um, and so there were high hopes uh, in the legislature and among stakeholders like ours that the uh, policymakers the governor of the legislature would focus in on some really big ticket items um, those big ticket items were homelessness and housing I think um, uh, I saw a poll not too long ago that um, uh, that surveyed uh, likely voters in California across the state, and um, homelessness was the number one issue for all voters across the state. Um, just a year or two ago, it was probably maybe number 15 on the list of important issues. Uh, but boy, how things change um, quickly in politics. And so we were, we were hopeful that the legislature would, would tackle some big issues, homelessness, housing, uh, preparedness uh, for a wildfire season that is fast approaching and, and uh, we are now in the fire, fire season. Um, and, and also tackle some uh, bigger policy issues as it relates to um, 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 enacting a cap and trade program that will help producers uh, maintain that certainty that we are looking for uh, with regulators in, in the state. Um, but boy, how the world changed. Um, and of course, our members know this firsthand. Uh, the process um, responded, the legislature governor responded to significant changes uh, given um, the spread of COVID-19 in California. <clears throat> that occurred in, in uh, mid-March where the state issued a, a public health order, which obviously required uh, shelter in place for 
uh, many Californians um, throughout the state and uh, modified our way of life in many ways. Um, that obviously triggered a deep economic um, recession uh, that uh, was triggered uh, because of the inactivity of, of major businesses in the state and unemployment rose, um, uh, un unemployment claims rose, um, and we saw the state's budget surplus uh, quickly evaporate. And now we are looking at a 30 to $50 billion budget deficit. All happened in a matter of approximately 90 to 120 days. So um, boy, we have seen other economic downturns, um, certainly in my lifetime and, and um, probably several cycles in between. Um, but I don't think there's been a situation that happened as quickly. Uh, and as and as um, severely um, as this as this downturn that we're in, so the legislature responded to the most urgent needs um, um, that uh, are on the minds of Californians, um, uh, given a more much more limited legislative session, and it became providing relief for tenants and we're struggling to pay rents because of the impact of COVID, trying to um, uh, shore up an economy that has been severely impacted, trying to protect people from the spread of COVID and trying to balance opening up businesses and opening up services and opening up um, the state's attractions, which drive a good chunk of our economy, but doing it without um, impacting public health. And that's been a real challenge, I think, uh, because it's not an easy thing to manage, I think, depending on where you are and depending on the business activity that you're in. Um, and so the legislature saw you know, a lot of activity in the areas um, that are directly related to, to, to trying to respond to COVID-19. And some of the bigger picture items that we were hopeful that the legislature would focus on, uh, like further implementation of the state's cap and trade program, which brings certainty to, to, uh, to producers. Um, not, a lot of area, not a lot of focus was spent there simply because focus was spent elsewhere um, on, the, on the urgent needs. Uh, related to COVID. And so um, in the final weeks of session, um, we were, there were high hopes that the legislature would be able to um, pull together a comprehensive plan or a series of bills that would um, help address uh, and help um, the state respond to major wildfires, particularly knowing that the wildfire season is, is upon us. Uh, but um, you know, comprehensive reform in that area remains elusive and um, in, in the final hours of session before adjournment, you know, they weren't able to find a comprehensive plan uh, to send to the governor. And so work on um, uh, efforts to help the state respond to wildfires will be a top priority um, of this next legislature. Uh, the governor still has executive order authority to respond to wildfires and appropriate dollars accordingly. But we're still looking for a broader um, solution in that area. Um, and certainly um, the legislature has a lot on its plate um, kicking off the beginning of 2021. A shortened legislative session, um, a, a time in which the legislature are focusing on social justice issues in the wake of some high profile um, incidents across the nation that have sparked a lot of conversation in the Capitol about um, uh, public safety and how those and how public safety interfaces with the public 
that is a huge priority of this legislature. And so there's a lot going on, um, but we're hopeful that this governor and this legislature will begin to focus in on some structural issues relate, that relate to, uh, to farming and ranching and to help us um, um, with our resiliency. So um, a bit of a, of a challenging um, year for us, but it's been a, bit, a very challenging year for everyone um, mm -hmm. and a challenging year for policymakers grappling with a whole host of issues. Uh, and let's not forget that this is an election year and um, elections and, and politics um, are driving a lot of the discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we'll hear a little bit more, you know, a little later in the episode, our listeners will hear a little bit more from one of our dairies that's affected by the wildfires. So I'm sure we'll be engaging with with those kind of producers a little bit more in the coming year, hopefully when those policy discussions resume. But definitely a lot going on. And again, we I use this word unprecedented or unpredictable so much lately, it seems like. But that's definitely the buzzword for 2020, I think, and, and no different in Sacramento. So Jason, could we cover a little bit about some specific bills that WUD was really involved in this year, maybe starting with AB 2959? Yeah, you bet. Um, obviously, um, there was a lot going on this year, uh, but that didn't mean that um, WUD's advocacy program uh, was limited. Uh, there were um, a number of bills that were of high priority to our industry. And the first bill that we saw that we were heavily engaged in is Assembly Bill 2959. And this bill dealt with waste byproducts, uh, byproducts that uh, come from uh, mostly food manufacturers or food retailers um, that are commonly used in sourcing of animal feed. And the bill was being sponsored by some of the franchised waste haulers. And, and we've talked about this bill in previous podcasts and provided updates to the membership in the past, but um, the bill would have um, specified that a franchise waste hauler, these are the large scale uh, uh, waste haulers that municipalities contract with, namely Republic Services and Recology and some of the larger players in the waste hauling space. They sponsored the bill and they were saying that um, if, a, um, if a dairy producer was sourcing waste byproducts from a manufacturer or retailer, that that dairy producer must go through a franchised waste hauler to obtain uh, those byproducts for animal feed. Um, and, and the concern here is that um, uh, today, dairy farmers are using a number of methods to obtain waste byproducts. Some smaller operators might be getting those products donated uh, by a retailer or a manufacturer. Some uh, dairy producers are using contracted uh, trucking and hauling services to obtain those byproducts. And this bill would have disrupted those supply chains. Um, and, and so we have worked really hard um, this past, uh, well, starting out in, in the spring through the summer and into the um, final months of session to help lawmakers understand that it's really important, particularly in a situation that we're facing as an industry where COVID has had significant impacts on how we do business, that we need to have any and all channels available in order to meet our sustainability goals, in order to 
um, upcycle some of those products that we're using and turn those products into, into, um, into, you know, valuable and necessary uh, dairy products. And um, that shouldn't be restricted. And I think uh, that message um, resonated with lawmakers and it resonated with our members, frankly, uh, that at a time of um, really difficult economic conditions, difficult environment for us to continue to do business, to supply um, the state with um, commodities like ours, um, that we all, we kind of need to provide an all hands on deck approach to make sure that we can continue to do that. Um, and so ultimately that bill was uh, not heard in the final policy committee in the state Senate this year, um, thanks to a large coalition of folks all the way down to uh, from dairy producers and ranchers um, to processors, uh, all the way to breweries and restaurants, retailers, grocery stores, all had concerns about what this bill would bring um, to this important function of moving these byproducts to, to farms. So ultimately the bill was held um, and is dead for the year. Although we do anticipate that this discussion around who can source and deliver byproducts is alive and well. Um, and we're alive and well in that process. Um, we wanna find solutions to this problem uh, for the long term so that our members can have certainty and they can uh, obtain these products affordably and efficiently. And so we're committed to working with the sponsors of the bill uh, to settle um, this issue for the long term. Um, you know, when there's an issue introduced in the legislature, simply because it doesn't get done the first year, doesn't mean it doesn't get done the second or third year. Our interest is to protect our membership and that's what we'll do. Uh, but we're not walking away from this issue. We're gonna lean into it and, um, and we'll help solve this problem um, and ultimately obtain the certainty that we believe we, we need and deserve. So happy to report that bill was held yeah, but the work continues. Definitely, uh, and I, I think it's important to mention any dairy producers that use these type of byproducts or would like to have their voice heard during this sort of off season for the legislature, you can reach out to Western United and we'll help share your story and talk about what, what changes to this um, regulation might mean to your specific dairy. Yeah. Great. Very good. Well, Jason, I think there's another bill that was we were pretty heavily involved in, um, Assemblymember Woods Bill AB 890. Um, it didn't really have to do much with what happens on farm for our dairies, but it really affects our producers and their employees who live in rural areas. And, and that is a yeah. bill about uh, nurse practitioners and, and access to primary care services. Could you tell us just a, a bit about that and how that worked out? Yeah, happy to. And uh, you know, traditionally, you know, we focus in on on-farm issues. Uh, we, fought, we focus in on on-farm on issues because that's our bread and butter. That's who we are. Nobody knows those issues better than us. And nobody is more credible uh, on on-farm dairy issues than Western United Dairies. So that's our focus. We spend about 95% of our time on those issues. Why we spend the time on those issues is because ultimately those issues impact our bottom line and they impact our costs our ability to sustain our businesses and to pass those businesses on to the next generation. And so we look at bills that are not on farm. We have to look at it through the lens of what policy objectives do they need. And in Assembly Bill 890, 
this bill as a health care bill. Um, but health care, as we know, is a major driver of cost. It's probably the main, uh, biggest driver in costs when it comes to overhead and when it, com when it comes to employee benefits. And rising health care costs are nothing new. Um, the only thing that's new is that they're rising um, quicker and, and the costs of, of health care are increasing every year. Not, the question isn't, um, will my health care costs go up as an employer next year? It's how much are they going to go up? Right. And, and that's just not a sustainable model. It's not an acceptable answer. It doesn't provide the certainty that we're looking for. Um, and, it, and at some point, employers who are perhaps focused on, on land use issues or on farm issues like we are, have to be willing to say, this is a cost issue, particularly those types of employers who are working in rural communities where not only are costs going up, but accessibility to healthcare is going down. How do you pay for something that, uh, year over year when costs go up, but your service goes down? Uh, in what world is that okay? And so Western decided to say, let's engage in a bill that addresses and helps uh, bridge the gap between what we are seeing with respect to being able to access medical care from medical professionals and attempt to reduce costs at the same time. AB 890 would allow nurse practitioners to see uh, patients um, without necessarily the oversight of a physician after a, a phasing in period over time. Um, and, and I know many of you probably uh, <laughs> had to go into the ER to get stitched up. I know I had a couple of issues myself uh, after a softball game that didn't end very well. Uh, and another, another pretty insignificant sprain after, um, after skiing a little too aggressively. And being able to access um, uh, the, that care is critical. And sometimes that care can't be obtained by a physician simply because of the lack of availability. And so this bill allows nurse practitioners to treat um, patients in certain conditions in certain settings, driving down costs and increasing service, and increasing care. And um, if we can help make a dent in um, trying to solve those two issues, that's important for our members. It's not on farm, but it certainly is relevant to our businesses and the longevity of our businesses. And so we engage in this bill, we supported it. The bill was ultimately passed um, by the legislature. A couple of key, really critical votes throughout the process where the bill got out of committee by one vote. Uh, if that vote wasn't there, the bill wouldn't be alive today. So AB 890 now goes to the governor's desk where he will either sign or veto the legislation and, and we're hopeful that the governor uh, will sign it. And indications uh, by, by most folks believe that he will, although it's not a foregone conclusion, it never is. Um, and so we're proud of engaging in that bill. Um, and when it comes to costs, when it comes to uh, accessing healthcare, um, those are issues we're going to remain involved in uh, because they impact our members. Yeah. And um, there's no reason why we shouldn't. Definitely. I know any member that's ever had a worker that has had to go out on leave and then has to wait several days or in some cases weeks to get reevaluated by a physician. I mean, they'll certainly appreciate this. And we obviously want those workers to get the care that they need. And, and this will this opens up doors for them to be able to do that. So it's a huge, huge lift, but I think a really important Ask, uh, you know, a really important bill that we were involved in this year.
yeah, uh, increased access to care at lower costs. My goodness. Um, Check some boxes. Pretty, straight, pretty <laughs> straightforward. Um, so uh, those are the two big issues we worked on this year. And, and so while the legislature was really focused in on responding to um, the spread of the pandemic, uh, that doesn't mean that that's not all that was going on. And, and there were a lot of uh, a lot of work went into the bills that were important to us um, that frankly, if we're passed, would be very detrimental to us. Um, and, and so our work um, didn't skip a beat this year, even though the legislature normally would be focused much more um, on agriculture related issues. Um, we did, we, you know, we held our own this year and I think we're pretty proud of that. Yeah, I'm certainly proud to work for a company that works so hard in, in so many different areas, including our state legislature for our dairymen. So thanks so much, Jason. Anything else you'd like to add for our members or any way, um, anything we should know or be aware of for the upcoming, hopefully, well, certainly, fall? <laughs> yeah, well, certainly we're hopeful. You know, this is an election year, and so all eyes are on the election. Um, but we do know that the legislature and the governor will be um, We'll be working over the fall and into the into the winter um, on a more comprehensive approach to, um, to California's resiliency as it relates to wildfires and, and creating potentially a fund um, that might be insurance uh, ratepayer driven uh, that would allow the state to um, to shore up sensitive areas throughout the state, um, spread those costs out, um, and to build our resiliency to prevent the severity of wildfires that we have seen in recent years. Um, you know, we never like to hear uh, concepts floated about rate increases. Um, so we'll be engaged in those conversations. But what we, what we know is that without uh, a source of revenue from which to help, um, help shore up sensitive areas and prepare the communities uh, during a, a very, you know, challenging uh, time when it comes to weather and um, the severity of wildfires in recent years, we have to be prepared. And so we're looking forward to engaging that process, um, no matter what track it takes, to make sure that the state is planning appropriately and that ultimately the rate payers are uh, not significantly impacted, um, but at the same time, making sure we have the resources available to, uh, to prepare and not just respond. Because uh, it seems like um, we're trying to do um, we're spending a lot of time and energy and money responding. Um, and it, it, it often, I think the consensus around the capital is um, how about a little dose of prevention, preventative medicine uh, yep. as we yeah. are spending um, billions on responding. So For we're sure. looking forward to that discussion and we'll be engaged. Great. Well, I know it kind of lately has disproportionately, these wildfires have disproportionately affected my members up on the North Coast, but it's a statewide issue. And that was very evident this last end of August when we saw, you know, 37 major active wildfires throughout the state. So I know all of our dairy producers can appreciate that, especially when dealing with smoke and its impacts on the health of their um, herds. So we'll look forward to it. We'll be engaged with it. But thanks so much, Jason, for all your hard work. Hopefully you get a couple days off now for uh, to enjoy a uh, a little well-deserved rest after that crazy legislative session. Yeah, everybody have a good Labor Day and um, pleasure to work with you and thanks for the opportunity to speak. Absolutely, thanks Jason. Well, thanks again, Jason and Melissa. That was a great chat with lots of insider information. And now we're gonna listen to an interview that Melissa got to do with one of her members, John Booker. 
Thanks so much, Darby. I'm here with John Booker. He's one of my dairy producers up in Healdsburg, California. Welcome to the show, John. Uh, thanks, Melissa, for having me. Absolutely. John, we, um, I want you to introduce yourself and a little bit about your dairy first, but we had a, quite a few requests and listener inquiries about how our dairymen were doing during the California wildfires that have been raging, um, you know, it seems like every year, but of course, early this year. Um, and so we wanted to chat with you because you have some unique experiences in that area. First of all, John, though, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your dairy? Yes, uh, so we're, uh, we're in Healdsburg, we're on uh, Healdsburg, California, which is, it's about an hour, hour 15, hour and a half north of San Francisco, up the Highway 101, uh, about uh, 30 minutes north of, um, 20 to 30 minutes north of Santa Rosa, that's our biggest uh, town in Sonoma County, and we're on West Side Road, which is southwest of the town of Healdsburg, on the west side of the Russian River, um, of the Russian River, and uh, we're in the we're in the wine country. This is the Russian River uh, Valley Appalachian for growing Pinot Noir and Chardonnay grapes, also. Which you guys also grow? Yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> and and you guys are milking about six hundred cows, John. Yeah, we have uh, we have a, a seven hundred cow uh, organic dairy selling our milk to Clover Sonoma. Uh, seven hundred cows with dry cows. And uh, so we're pasture based. Um, we have uh, different pasture ranches here on West Side, uh, some neighboring properties contiguous to us uh, down the road a mile. We have some other pastures from some neighbors. Uh, a ranch in town in Healdsburg on the west east side of the of the town of Healdsburg. And then we we've got some property that we work with the uh, we 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 work on. Uh, we have some heifers up on Sonoma Mountain, which is East Petaluma. Uh, Katati area, and then uh, we have a, another ranch out in Valley Ford, which is near Bodega Bay. Uh, so we, so during the during the um, pasture months, we've got animals, as I said, spread out over you know a couple thousand acres. Uh, this time of year, uh, you know the pastures dries up, and we we pretty much have all the animals home. So, so if you think about the uh, end of end of July, we brought the last of the of the heifers home off of the Sonoma Mountain Ranch. And so that, that, that means we have 1,400 animals here from the calves, replacement heifers, bred heifers, um, 700 replacement heifers, and, and 700 uh, milk cows plus dry cows. Right, and that um, complicated things a little bit two weeks ago when, um, and, and actually it probably would have been just as complicated if the cows were still spread across all of your ranches, but um, two weeks ago we had an, unprecedented, and uh, sorry about using that word, it's, it seems to get overused recently, but an unprecedented lightning storm in California over the weekend. There was a rolling blackout on Sunday. Sunday evening, there were some terrible storms that accompanied by lightning. There was a little bit of rain, but those lightning strikes caused over 100 individual fires that ended up merging into, I think, 37 different fires around the state. And you, John, were in the path of the Wallbridge fire, correct? Correct. Correct. That, that, that Wallbridge fire started uh, west of us. Um, it ended up, uh, uh, at last count, I think it's, it's over 50,000, over 55,000 acres. It did merge with one of the other fires that was a little bit further north, uh, uh, north more coastal. And just from where we're situated, um, again, I, I, we're on the west side of the Russian River. Um, and then 
looking west of us is uh, we're looking towards um, towards the coastal uh, mountain ranges, which uh, have a lot of different ridges. Um, there's Armstrong Grove, uh, which is out by Guerneville. Basically, it's all these coastal mountain ridges that are uh, as you head towards uh, towards the ocean, towards the the coast, and all of these. Uh, uh, most of them behind us are all, you, you get into the timberland. It's all redwood and pine uh, timber. And, you know, un unfortunately, those, that area, it's, it's beautiful, uh, but it hasn't been logged or cleaned up in any way with controlled burns or, or any uh, significant pasturing for, from what I've heard over 80 years. So, um, unfortunately, uh, we had uh, fires in, in 2017, which were more uh, called the Tubbs Fire, which is more uh, uh, in, from Calistoga to Santa Rosa, which was east of us. Right. Uh, we had in 2019 the, the Kincaid Fire, which was north of us, that, that uh, came down uh, from Cloverdale, Geyserville, up in the what we call the Geyser area, um, where PG&E has geyser, um, geyser uh, plants up there. Uh, and that was coming, you know, from the north, um, and that was that was also concerning. We we ended up being in the evacuation zone for that fire, which was only I say last year. It was only ten months ago. Yeah. Um, so so we were under mandatory evacuation during that fire. Um, it didn't uh, it, we it, it didn't get uh, close as close to us as this fire did. Um, and really, I, I remember talking to my wife, Diane, afterwards that, you know, this is, this is getting scary because the only side that hasn't burned is this western side of these, of these ridges here. And, and that's real concerning. So um, anyway, that's, that's kind of the way things have played out for us over the last few years. Yeah, I remember last week, um, I kind of checked in with you, John, via phone, and I hated to call and bug you because I know you were running around a lot, but just about every couple of hours, I was going on that Google map that the state provides and looking at measuring the distance between your actual facility and the edge of that fire, and it was getting pretty scary last week. I think there was, I think the closest it got was about two miles from your dairy facility. Yeah, it, it was between, uh, it, it was a little hard, I mean, depending on where the, the actual, our, the, 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 our freestall barns and our, our milk barn are on the uh, closer to West Side Road. Right. Our ranch is 360 acres. It goes, it's more of a uh, rectangular, narrow rectangular shape that goes, goes westward then. So, so it's a, so it, the, the length of the ranch is, you know, probably a mile or mile and a half. So depending on where as far as the buildings go, the two miles was technically it was about a mile behind our ranch. And in fact, um, it ended up burning um, on the property that I leased north of us. Um, it's a 700 acre ranch and that north and, and I knew that it was going to be a problematic area because it was there was an area uh, about two miles north of us called Mill Creek. It's Mill Creek Road that goes really it's beautiful. Um, country up there, beautiful timberland. That's where they had, they, that, that's where there was the most uh, property damage in that area. And then just a, a few, like a half mile, mile below Mill Creek Road is Felta Creek and Felta Road, which um, is right on the north end of where this, uh, the Palmer Ranch that I lease, just north of us. 
And, and that ranch at the northwest corner of that ranch is in that timber line. It comes right down in there. And so they ended up, uh, that, that corner of that ranch is where, where the fires got into that timber uh, ground. They were cutting the fire breaks in on the open pasture uh, right. of that ranch and then back burning um, last, uh, what's today, Wednesday, Thursday, a, a week ago, they were back burning into that, uh, basically back burning from the, from the fire break into that timber because they couldn't, it, it was just impossible to fight the fire in there. Yeah. And they just didn't have the, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges when you have all these fires break out all at once that the, the, the Cal Fire and the local uh, fire departments just, they just did not have the resources um, for, for fighting that many fires. Everyone was stretched so thin. What we did have, which, and, and they were phenomenal, was a lot of dozer crews. Yeah. And they really helped set these fire lines and, and basically the, that, that was what, we had a couple things in our favor. These dozer crews, uh, the back burning, and the fact that um, the wind and weather was favorable for us. I mean, it was, it was nothing like the winds and the, the crazy winds we had in 2017 and 2019 last year where, where the fire spread really rapidly. We were, that was really to our advantage, which, uh, which pretty much saved our place. Definitely. Um, one thing to talk about, John, and we get a lot of questions. In fact, I was getting phone calls the last two weeks about, well, what do we need to do to help these guys evacuate? And how are we going to get them evacuated? And, and I unfortunately have to kind of be the bearer of news to certain people. It, 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 there is no evacuating 1,400 animals in a timely manner, let alone all of your, um, you know, all the people that are up there trying to get out. There's crews trying to get in. So can we talk a little bit about like the complications and, and what it means and how you've prepared to have to hunker down and stay and protect your place when something like this arises? Yeah, yeah. and, and actually, you know, it, I have to go back a few years actually to, to kind of set the stage for that because we, we had a, um, a uh, the, 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 the ranch we're on, the farm that my, my, my parents purchased it in 1958 and as a, as a dairy farm, and, and it was actually a, um, it, it was a, at the time, this is this farm was was probably built and developed back in the 1930s. Uh, had a dairy barn, and I had a um, a horse barn, which we converted to a calf barn, and we had our shop in there. And that was an old redwood barn, but there was a lot of you know, I mean, around here, I, I talked about those that redwood timber behind us. Right. This all used to be part of the uh, redwood timber and, and the, the buildings are all uh, built a lot out of these beautiful redwood uh, wood. And um, this was part of a bigger ranch at the time back in the thirties and forties. So in, in, we had this, uh, a lot of redwood buildings on the property. And one of the last ones that was still uh, standing here back in the late eighties was uh, this, this, what we called the horse barn. And we had a fire in that barn. We had, we actually, ironically had a, a lightning storm um oh, wow. that in, in a january it was during a it was a lightning it was during a, a, it was a, a it was a, a big rainstorm but that barn uh we think the the uh, lightning hit that barn and we had a lot of um a lot of hay storage in the middle of that barn and it it uh, even with the the rain it it you know because of the of the, the nature of the building material it went um pretty fast we were able to save all the animals uh we, at three o'clock in the morning, I just, wow. you know, got all the animals out. And anyway, 
fast forward after that happened, we, we were, uh, you know, it, that fire happened so fast and the fuel was so great that I remember my, my, my dad was, uh, he was really frustrated with the fire department because they just didn't, he, he felt that they, they didn't get here in time. And, and I, I was a little more realistic. That fire just, it just exploded really fast. So, but after that happened, we, we vowed that we were just going to, that we need to be self, self-protected with, uh, for fire. We have to really fit, think about fire protection every time we, we uh, put in a new water line, change a water line, fix a water line, uh, and, you know, and that happens, you know, all the time on a, on a dairy. So yeah. that's what we did. We, we basically, you know, if we had to reroute a line or fix a line, we always thought about stubbing up with a two-inch um, coming up with a, if it was a big enough line, we'd come up with a two inch line and, and even cap it off. So we had it there. Um, and then over the years, we, uh, you know, so we had that around the employee housing. We, uh, we eventually diversified into wine grapes, as we mentioned earlier, and we built more water storage and we have a gravity feed uh, water system. So we have about, we've grown, built our, uh, and grew our, our water storage from 60,000 to 120,000 actually 140,000 uh, gallons uh, in cement tanks, steel tanks, uh, redwood tanks, the original redwood tank. And uh, we have to pump our water from the, from the Russian river, but we have this, uh, and, and then we did that. So we, we had water, uh, extra water storage for our uh, vineyard too. So we could water the cows, water the vineyard. Um, so, so this has been a, a process of, of developing our, basically our, our self-sufficiency of, of having uh, gravity feed water so that when the power goes out, we still have water. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have it set up so that we have strategic uh, fire hydrants. We have the, the two inch bush down to inch and a half for fire hoses. We also, in, in some places, just bush it down to a one inch uh, barn hose. Uh, we found that the barn hose actually lasts a little longer than the fire hose, if, you know, having it set up in, even if it's in a, a containment area, it just, uh, they just last longer. So this was all part, already something that we were setting up, not not really thinking about all, you know, 2017 when these fires broke over in, in the Calistoga Napa area east of us. Um, and, and what we did then is we, we worked, um, uh, even though the fire was further away, you know, my employees were great. They said, they came to me and said, look, we want to stay here. We don't want to evacuate. At that time in the 2017 fire, it was just a, um, uh, what do you call it, voluntary right. evacuation. So no one really felt comfortable. You know, my employees live here. They, they have, obviously I have a, a more vested interest and financial interest, but, but they also have their families and their homes and their personal belongings here. So, so they were willing to stay and, um, and which made me feel really, that was very comforting for me and, and uh, that they were willing to stay and, and help me. Um, and so, and that, so, so we did some, you know, we, we, we thought of after those fires in 17, we, we thought about, you know, we, we discussed with everyone, you know, what, how, how can we improve things? What, what can we do different? Uh, what's our exit strategy uh, if it really got closer? So, uh, you know, so part of, I have to actually in some ways be thankful that we had that, that fire was, that happened in 2017 because it really, it was the catalyst for us really thinking seriously about, okay, we, we got to make sure, you know, we have a plan because exactly what you said, Melissa, we can't evacuate 1400 animals. And right. I, I, I can't, I can't even tell you how many people 
Uh, and, you know, I, I'm so thankful for everyone in the ag, uh, ag industry, others outside saying, hey, I've got trailers, I can, I can come, I, I'm getting texts, you know, my phone was blown up for all three of these fires. And, you know, the reality is we, there's just, there's absolutely no way we could have evacuated. So we, we had this plan and we worked on it. We, we, we improved the plan in, in 2017. Uh, it was uh, improved again. Uh, every year we thought about different things that we can do differently. And they're just some of our minor things, but uh, we also, we just learned from each uh, fire event and just listening to um, the fire, the Cal Fire uh, folks and our local fire departments. Um, uh, the cool thing now is I have uh, I have our, our, our fire chief's, uh, Hillsburg fire chief's uh, cell phone in my phone now. So it's just, so I, 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 lean on Jay, I lean on Jason for help me get milk trucks in and, yeah. you know, the, uh, and just really this thing happened so fast uh, this time. It was, it was, it was crazy just getting, making sure everything was coordinated. Um, but back to the, that slow, so, so developing this plan of having to stay versus evacuating uh, has happened over, over really, it started back in the late Decades. 80s. Yeah. yeah. And, but really, it became really fine tuned over the last four years and sure. with, the, with the advent of these fires. And, and really, you know, these fires are happening. I mean, there's a lot of reason they're happening, but I, I feel that the, the drought years we had here, back in two, uh, 2012, 13, 14, into right. 15 a little bit, you know, that really set the stage for what we're seeing now because the fuel load in some of these areas uh, were incredible. And, you know, we can, we can talk a little bit if we want, uh, I don't know how much time we have because there's, there's a lot of stuff to, to talk about policy-wise, right. but I, I really feel that there, that the, the, even though the, it was the, the, the drought kind of set the stage. What really has been amiss is really um, uh, uh, a strong policy that would in our, in our state uh, either not 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 staying in that direction of, of, of policy development for um, for doing back burns for doing uh, logging uh, uh, timber harvest uh, right. or the the regulatory layers that have developed in order just tape. to do some of those things. And, uh, and anyway, I, I don't wanna, I, I don't wanna get into that until we finish the talk about the fires, but, 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 but basically that was those, the, the last um, uh, few years really enabled us to, uh, this has all been in the plannings for decades, but we were able to fine tune our plan and our plan really, the, the bottom line is it wasn't about evacuating. It was about how do we stay and then how do we get supplies in? Yeah. And so it was almost, it was almost uh, in, in some ways counterintuitive and just the opposite of what every else was doing. And, and that was a little more challenging because we have roadblocks and we have other yeah. um, issues uh, where, where people are, you know, they're not understanding why we have to stay. And so, um, so but now going through this twice um, in less than a year, uh, I think everyone knows that there's a dairy on West Side Road, and even the, <laughs> the local sheriff's deputies, they, they, because uh, uh, we didn't have time to get a permit. Uh, they, they were, it wasn't technically a permit, it was an access right. pass. Exactly. That, that, that our county developed. And, 
and it was which was great but like i said this fire came on so fast i i didn't leave the ranch you have to go down to the ag commissioner's office and sign on sign this for this permit i literally didn't have time to even think about it we were in full um uh let's i mean i had to I had to figure out how to get the milk truck in that night because the yeah. fire was was going you know absolutely i think that's a really good point that we kind of think like the whole world shuts down when these fires start and really there's a lot that doesn't shut down yeah and and, and really it was it was it was actually not just the dairy that can't shut down we can't evacuate but we were uh um, our grape harvest was a little bit earlier this year we were gearing right. up for harvest i had i had we started uh picking grapes on on uh august 14th so that was the friday before yeah. And then we started again Monday the 17th. I had I had uh, harvest dates booked from solid from Monday to that Saturday. And the main reason, and I'm kind of I'm glad that happened that way too, because we had, you know, bins here from the different wineries. We, we work with small, we, we do three to five ton lots to, uh, uh, we harvest about 130, normally about 130 tons off of our 40 acre vineyard. Uh, but it goes to small, small loss. It's about 15 different wineries that we work with, plus our own wine brand that we have. So uh, the, the, we had the heat before. I, yeah. that, that's you know we had we had this hot weather that just spiked right before um, that week before, and so we actually had a lighter crop this year. Um, we had some frost damage and some uh, uh, we had some damage during the the flowering. Uh, Pinot flowers relatively early in in between May first and May fifteenth. Okay. Um, so uh, that's we could still have some rain events and some cold weather then, and that um, that can affect the pollination, uh, which which happened for for us. So uh, it's been an interesting boy twenty twenty. We, yeah. <laughs> we were all thinking thinking oh we can't wait to get to, for twenty nineteen to end you know bring on twenty twenty and be careful what you wish for because we had. We had everything that could possibly happen out in the vineyard between, uh, you know, frost damage, uh, bloom damage, heat, heat damage. We, we literally those clusters just dehydrated, and then the fires. And now we're faced with, uh, with, and it's, the jury's still out. We have to. We're we're testing right now for smoke taint in in some right. of the juice samples. So so far everything's okay because we so far so good because we were we were able we were picked most of the fruit before things got smoky. I mean, when okay. uh, that first week through the 22nd, actually, um, we really didn't have a lot of smoke here. It's settled in now as, as the fires are going out now, you know, and, and yeah. they're getting containment. Um, but, but we had, so we had all of that going on where I had to get picking crews in. So it's not just, I just, right. I had to get the milk truck in. I get, hey, feed truck. Um, we had to get fuel in here just to keep the, you know, just to keep the feed truck going. Um, all these things that you really, you, you, if you think about that, you know, a dairy and the kind of deliveries that the average dairy gets on a daily right. basis, you have, you have to go, if you go through a mandatory evacuation, you, you realize how much, you, you, you forget sometimes how much, you, that count, how many different activities are coming in. Yeah. And boy, I tell you, you go through a mandatory evacuation and you, you realize that, you know, your phone's blowing up because no one can get in and we need to coordinate this and that. And uh, it's, uh, but again, uh, we had a lot of help from, <clears throat> as I mentioned, the police chief in Hillsburg, um, the, the, the sheriff's department was phenomenal. I had three cell phone numbers from three different 
uh, sheriff's deputies, one, the assistant sheriff, uh, who helped, helped us and helped me coordinate with Clover Sonoma to bring the, with uh, Hannah Stefanoni, our, our new clo uh, yes. producer rep. Hannah was helping, uh, Tawny Tesconi from Farm Bureau was helping uh, with some of that coordination. Uh, the sheriff's department was great. Uh, the ag commissioner, uh, we weren't able to get that permit. He actually met with my wife, Diane, um, last Sunday uh, to get uh, on a Sunday to get get us the the, the permit here and uh, it was towards the end and, and then since they've lifted the, the the thing but I guess my point is that everyone everyone was trying to help and try to coordinate you know you reached out so many right. people did um, just got a lot of help and we really appreciated all that definitely it, it I will say over the years working in Sonoma County it's it's such a tight-knit community and everyone really does work together especially in the ag community to, to make things happen and that Sonoma County Sheriff's Department is really a great example of a rural county sheriff's department yeah. working with yeah. their you know their constituents out there and in, in the far-reaching areas of the county so I can't say enough about them and I'm sure you know you can't either it's it, it's really great to know like you could put a couple of phone calls in and, and we're going to get things to work. It's going to be a long couple days, but. Yeah. And, and like even all the, all the sheriff's deputies uh, for Sonoma County, you know, they, they would rotate different law enforcement at the checkpoints. And, um, and we, you could tell, I mean, the, the, the local, you know, we, we didn't have time to get these ag permits and a lot of people didn't. If this thing right. was just blowing up, you know, right right behind us right uh, everywhere and trying to get everywhere you know, yeah. the harvest was going and everything everything but you could really you know and and again all the law enforcement you know they, get, they got a lot of help they got they brought up chp and and but but you could tell the difference when the outside law enforcement uh, agencies came in and were manning the checkpoints because they just didn't understand that agriculture needed to get in yeah. to these places that we were yeah it's a mandatory evacuation but we've got to get our we've got to check on our vineyards we got to check on the wineries had to check on their on their uh on the the, the ferments uh we had to get uh feed and hay and milk trucks into our, our place and the local sheriff's department because they are our first line of you know that we work with closely for rural crime and and they know the the rural areas they they understood they understood what had to happen uh, with or without a access pass. And so, um, so we, we were really thankful for them and, and for all the different agencies and that, that helped out. But, but it is different, you know, when you know that the, that the Sheriff's Department really knows the area and that was very, very helpful for us and we're very thankful for that. Definitely. Well, we're glad you guys are on the back end of this particular fire, John, and we're keeping our fingers crossed that we get a little bit better weather. It seems like it's going to be warm this weekend, but after that, we're looking at actual fall weather. So yeah, yeah, and, and hopefully it'll be okay. I mean, it's a little concerning here because we we you know, we were kind of gearing up for we have grape harvest and then segue into uh, into the the real the, the 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 dangerous fire season for us is really. Uh, September October Absolutely. because we get these offshore winds most of our, uh, our our winds are onshore coming from uh, coastal winds so it's there's humidity uh, there there there's moisture in those in that wind if we do have wind events and these winds that they, they kind of flip around and it comes off the mountains and, and is blowing uh, from the east to the right. west 
And that, those are the two, um, that's the situation we had in 2017 and 2019 right. uh, with the fires in, uh, in, and the higher wind speed. So, uh, you know, fortunately we didn't, we were early enough with this because it was an unusual lightning uh, storm that happened, but we still have to be on guard because number one, the, the, the Walbridge fire is, I believe 70, 80% contained right now, but we can still go up the back of the ranch and see that, you know, we get up on the hill, we can see the smoldering still, there's For smoldering sure. areas. If this, uh, if this wind uh, picks up, we, we could be right back at it again. So we have to be uh, diligent and uh, and aware of what's going on, uh, but we were very thankful that we made it through this. And, and doing this twice in one year is is uh, it's it's really uh, it's it's frustrating for me because you you know that there's things that 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 could be done policy wise differently. Yeah. And uh, the one thing that saved us too, I talked about the wind and the and the weather. Uh, the other thing, when I had the the uh, uh, Cal Fire reps and and different people from the different fire agencies actually on the ranch and looking at assessing uh, our situation, they were all very positive. And and all these plans we put in place as far as how that we're we're safe, we've got uh, enough defensible enough defensible space. space. Yeah. I mean, they reiterated that to me and said, look, you, you're going to be okay as long as these winds are, you know, when the high winds happen, that you know, all bets are off right. uh, or freak lightning storms, they could start fires anywhere. But, but with this fire coming in, we had uh, between our vineyards, uh, I have a neighboring uh, property behind us that has a vineyard. Our vineyards are the north side of our property. Mm -hmm. And then the, all the, the open space and the, uh, the, the defensible space from the pasture that we had. In fact, the, the dozer crew that we went and, and talked to the dozer crew on the neighboring property that burned, that they, they lit the backfire on that yeah. I was talking about earlier. And the dozer crew commented uh, because they did that the night before when the winds are really calm. He said that the fire crew had a really tough time starting the backfire uh, on that property because my animals did such a great uh, job grazing. So my point is that agriculture managed managed ag lands are your best uh, defense for fire Absolutely. and so agriculture really uh, plays into a lot of the the, the land management that really uh, has been neglected in other parts of the state where there isn't managed agriculture or they've not allowed grazing or they haven't right. allowed back burns or control burns or timber harvests We've gotten away from that. And that's when I talk about policy direction, it's maybe not so much that the policy has changed, it's been redirected more to an environmental uh, policy uh, push. For and sure. it's neglected the conservation part of, of our land management uh, in, here in California. And it's really unfortunate. And that's where we really need to, be advocates of that uh, at at the state level, local and state, because it's really it's it, it could impact not just uh, yeah agriculture is uh, um, has some great defensible spaces, but this is just uh, these these fires and having these continue it's 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 really um, it's just uh, destroying the local economies. It's uh, yeah. it's it's really adding such a, a another layer of uh, of work and and really um, just the um, emotional 
stress of all this. For sure. Um, so, you know, and it's really, uh, I, I really, I worry about um, our local tourist economy. We have a huge ag tourism area here in our county with, uh, with wine uh, and, and uh, wine tasting and wine country. And that's been, that's been really impacted the last few years. And uh, uh, we're seeing it with wineries not able, they're not wanting to, they're behind in sales. They don't want to buy grapes. The grape market is, is actually, it's creating this ripple effect. Yeah. So that's affecting our businesses too. And so you're, you're seeing this, the, the, the lack of, of proper policy direction is, is starting to impact uh, our California economy in different areas. And, and we, we need that to change. Um, we need that to change. Definitely. I know. And, and it just gets scarier and scarier. We used to talk about, I remember as a kid and a teenager, there was wildland fires or wildfires everywhere, but these fires are going into cities like Redding and Santa Rosa. And my, my own sister was evacuated from the city limits of Vacaville um, two weeks ago in, for the Hennessy fire, which was part of that complex that yeah, started yeah. that same weekend. So, I mean, I think we just have to really take a hard look at the direction we've been going. And there's a lot of science behind managing lands better, whether it's prescribed burning, managed grazing, and just all these different policies that could help clean out the fuel load that exists right yeah. now. So and the, the, the one last uh, point that I could probably make as far as um, what's also impacting and, and, and uh, causing concern for me is you have more people uh, uh, moving out into the country and you have a lot of folks that you know love being out in the countryside like I said these these uh, these uh, timberlands are beautiful and but as more people move out into the countryside I don't know know if everyone is really uh, has the, the, the proper awareness of what it takes to manage those types of country properties Right. And the work you have to put into, and the money you have to put into, to to clear uh, those properties, or not clear, but clear out um, underbrush and 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 create your defensible space. Uh, you, you have people that complain about PG&E cutting cutting their uh, trees too far back, and and not wanting trees cut down, and wanting everything to stay the same in a natural state. You know, that's all fine and good until you get to these these wildland fires and you, if you have more people living in those areas i mean i have a few neighbors right now in, in our area that you know they just don't they they, they haven't really done any kind of a, of a land uh, management with their with their wooded uh properties and and we, we need to work together with our neighbors uh in, in our rural areas and really there's there needs to be uh, um, heightened education on, on what it takes to really um, keep your properties uh, safe and not just because if my neighbor does it, you know, it's kind of like property rights. It's, it's everyone has their, their right to keep, you know, their property. But once your property rights start impacting my property rights, it's the same with my neighbor's trees. He, he, he has the right to not do that, but now his underbrush and all that fuel load there, that could be impacting my property. And, sure. and we, we have to, everyone has to understand that and start really working together and to try to uh, figure out a plan that, that works for everybody. Absolutely. And, and hopefully it starts limiting these catastrophic situations. Absolutely. So. Well, 
John, thank you so much for joining us today. We're sure glad to hear your voice and I'm glad to see you face to face because yeah. <laughs> it's been a, a nerve wracking couple of weeks for everyone, but thanks for Trust taking me, the I'm, time. <laughs> Trust me, I'm glad to be here too. <laughs> yeah, I bet you're, you're probably ready for vacation at this point, but um, we sure appreciate your time and you're welcome back anytime and just thanks so much and stay safe and we'll check back in with you maybe this spring and see how things are going. Sounds good, Melissa. Thanks for having me. Thanks, John. Take care. Okay. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Hello, dairy members of Western United Dairies. Welcome to the month of September. It has been quite a year so far, hoping everyone is doing great and healthy. Remember, we are here to help you out and make your job so much easier. We do the advertising and interviews to find you the perfect candidate. In case of needing help for an employee search or to post a job announcement, please feel free to call the office at 209 527-6453 or you can email me at r-a-s-h-e-l-l at w-u-d-a-i-r-i-e-s dot com and ask for your employer questionnaire to start the process. It just takes a couple of minutes and for the ones already in the list waiting patiently, you'll be hiring in no time. Thank you and have a nice day. Well, thanks so much for that update on the Cheros Rochelle. And we just want to let our members know that what has really entered into a new era, just like everybody else. And we've started doing kitchen table style meetings over Zoom. This is with the Western United staff and they are every Thursday at 11 a.m. The first Thursday of the month is an update from our CEO, Anya Radabaugh. The second is an update from Annie Akmudi, our economist. The third Thursday is the field staff, Melissa and I. And the fourth Thursday of the month is Mr. Sunshine Paul Souza with an environmental update. And we'd love to hear feedback from our listeners on the podcast and all of our members about what content they'd like us to share in those updates. I know some things that are on the docket will include margin protection insurance. I'm going to be doing a little bit of a talk about the environmental issues up here on the North Coast, kind of specific to our members up here. And I know Anya will be bringing a variety of updates from the legislature to WUD policy. So just if you have something specific, please shoot us an email, info at wudairies.com. And a huge thank you again to Annie, Jason, John, and Rochelle for making this week's episode possible. And like we say every week, if you like information on the podcast, maybe how you can sponsor the podcast, you can reach out to the office at info, I-N-F-O, at wudairies.com, or you can give the office a call, and that number is 209-527-6453. Remember to reach out to us with any of your questions, comments, and content requests at our podcast email, which is wud, that's wud, dot podpod at gmail.com and you can also reach out to us directly i'm darby d-a-r-b-y at wudairies.com and melissa i'm m-l-e-m-a at wudairies.com and also remember we would love for you to rate review and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform have a great week everyone While Western United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous 2020 business sponsors. 
Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com. Thank you.